Today, St. Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. And as he tells us to put on the full armor of God, he does so by illustrating this concept using a picture of Roman armor. See, we are caught in the middle of a battle, a battle between good, the triune God and his church, and evil. Satan, his demons, his followers, and anyone and anything else that tries to destroy the church. Paul addresses us today in the final chapter of his letter to the Ephesians, the sixth chapter, beginning there at verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to take a stand on the evil day and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness fastened in place, and with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace tied to your feet like sandals. At all times, hold up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. At every opportunity, pray in the spirit with every kind of prayer and petition. Stay alert for the same reason, always persevering in your intercession for all the saints. Pray for me also that when I open my mouth, a message will be given to me that boldly reveals the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may speak about it boldly as it is necessary for me to speak. Paul may have used the picture of armor here because he was surrounded by it all day long. Remember that as he wrote this letter, he was under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial. And so when you are under house arrest, you are surrounded by soldiers day and night. Let's kind of look at this and examine this armor. First he says, stand then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now this belt was actually more like a girdle or, or a, a waist belt. It's much wider and thicker than the belt that we would wear to, to hold up our pants. And so Paul maybe uses this and mentions this first because that kind of belt was used to protect your most vulnerable parts in battle uh, from a sword, from the sword being thrust up, especially a long sword, up toward the groin and the abdomen and then going up into the lungs and eventually trying to get to the heart. And so Paul, as he talks here, he uses this because also this was the piece of the equipment that kept a person's armor in place, and it also held that sword that he eventually gets to. And so St. Paul uses this belt here as a picture of truth, the truth that we can only find in Jesus and in his word. Jesus said, remember in John's gospel, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then later on in the gospel, he says, Lord, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. 
The word of truth is the most important and essential armament of our inner being. Next comes, he says here, the breastplate of righteousness. That righteousness that comes to you and me by God only through faith. Writing to the Romans, Paul would say, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. This righteousness is our breastplate, closest to and protecting our heart. Next were those war sandals that were to give the soldier firm footing to be able to battle. Paul defines them in the terms of what a Christian needs for this walk of faith that we're on. The readiness that comes from the gospel of peace tied to your feet like sandals. It's a paradox, isn't it? The gospel of peace prepares us for war. We are reminded again and again in Scripture that we follow Jesus, who Paul, saying back in chapter 2, came to bring peace. But also, as Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, also the sword. Then Paul says, At all times, hold up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Don't imagine, you know, some small round shield here like He-Man from when I was growing up. But rather, this was a much bigger shield. It was called the Scutum. It was four feet long, and it was two and a half feet wide. And when held properly in the right battle stance, it protected the soldier completely from any attack coming head on at him. Literally, the Greek means a shield like a door. And so Paul uses this picture here as the shield of faith. The shield of faith is God's gift to us as it seizes and it comprehends salvation. It affects forgiveness for our past sins. It allows us access to God. It assures eternal life by the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And it promises you and me that we are holy before our God. Now, a Roman soldier wasn't obviously, even with this type of thing, supposed to hide his head because you can't see who you're fighting. You have to keep your head above the shield so that you could still fight your opponent. And so, therefore, you wore a helmet. Paul tells us the Christian wears a helmet in this battle. And on the side of it is written the word salvation. The reference to salvation here is a general one. Salvation protects the Christian and it helps him or her on his or her walk of life, allowing you and me to keep our head up, to be able to keep it up in joy and with confidence. And finally, finally here, Paul gets to the offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now notice up to this point, everything that Paul has talked about has really been there for defensive purposes. But it would be pretty foolish for you and me to think that a soldier would go off to war without the ability to protect himself. It would also be pretty ridiculous to picture the Christian soldier not to have an offensive weapon either because you know what you and I do. We have the sword of the Spirit, he says here. We have the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is made by the Holy Spirit and it is given by the Holy Spirit through the Word in the sacraments. 
It's God's powerful word, and it is the most powerful. It is the best offensive weapon we Christians could ever want and hope for. The writer of the Hebrews puts it this way. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the point of dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, even being able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. What's your spiritual armor looking like these days? Is it all ready to go, all laid out, all shiny and polished like those football helmets will be here in a few weeks? Don't get excited, Viking fans. History repeats itself. <laughs> or, or is it in some room you don't go into much, in a heap, covered in cobwebs and dust, rusted out, and worthless? Of course, I'm speaking figuratively here, but, but here's my point. I'm going to be very blunt when it comes to what I'm trying to say along with St. Paul. The only way that you and I can possess this armor, the only way that we can keep it shiny and worth having is by making sure that we use regularly God's means of grace, his word and his supper. And so I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to ask you a few questions when it comes to your armor, and you, you now have to answer those for yourself personally. How's your church attendance been lately? Do you plan on, as we start up again Sunday Bible class next week and we start Sunday school, catechism classes, do you plan on attending? If not, why not? Are you taking the time every single day to sit down and just even a few minutes Meet God in his word. Are you taking the time to meet Jesus in his word with your family? And again, if not, why not? See, you and I, we are so blessed here. We have every opportunity to do all these things. We've got three worship services. We'll have Bible classes, numerous of them. We've got confirmation classes and Sunday school. I'm also going to guess that most of us own at least one Bible in our home. And if you don't, before you leave tonight, please look at the table with the blue cloth and grab one so that you have one in your house. No, we all need to involve ourselves in all of these activities. Why? So that you and I, so that we can be ready and our faith is strong when the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh come and wage war against us. And the only way, the only way that you and I can be ready for battle, that our armor can be ready to go and be polished is if we come and we read and we study the Bible and we receive Jesus in, with, and under his bread and wine and his holy son. And so if we ask ourselves and we're honest with ourselves to the question of are we ready for this battle against good and evil, we have to say no. Because on our own, we'd be massacred. And the reason that you and I would be massacred in that battle is because the enemies we face, they're much stronger than you and me. Remember how this started out. Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
And the leader of those enemy forces is, of course, the great, the powerful, the wily fallen angel, Satan, of whom we sing, at least during the month of October, deep guile and great might are his dread arms in fight. On earth is not his equal. But we're not alone in this battle. And thank our triune God for that fact. And that is why, my friends, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is so important in our life because it is Jesus who defeats our enemies, who prepares us and makes us strong for battle. In Isaiah chapter 59, we happen to just be studying it this last Wednesday, God has a very blunt conversation with his children who are going to be in the Babylonian captivity. He makes three points. First is he reminds them it is their fault, it is their sins that put a wall up between them and him. Second, second is that they are blind because of their sin. Like prisoners of war, blinded by the enemy and thrown into the cell, now they grope around in spiritual darkness and they can't do anything about it. They cannot find a way out, just like that prisoner of war. Third, but God, in his extreme mercy, in his amazing grace, rises up and promises that he will defeat the enemies that we can't defeat and he will take care of the issue because, you know what, we can't do it on our own. And he's going to help everybody who puts their faith, their trust, and their hope in him. How? By doing what we can't do. By putting on the full armor of God. Again, Isaiah 59. He, the Lord, saw that there was no one, and that no one there literally means a hero of war. There was no hero of war. He was appalled that there was no one who could intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness supported him. He clothed himself with righteousness like armor and wore a helmet of salvation on his head. He dressed in garments for vengeance, and he wrapped himself with zeal like a cloak. He will repay in full what they have earned, namely wrath to his foes and full payment to his enemies. He will repay even the distant coastlands. To say it another way, as we sing it oftentimes throughout the year, but God beheld my wretched state before the world's foundation, and mindful of his mercies great, he planned my soul's salvation." A father's heart he turned to me, sought my redemption fervently, and he gave his dearest treasure. The father spoke to his beloved son, "'Tis time to have compassion. Then go, bright jewel of my crown, and bring mankind salvation. For sin and sorrow, set them free. Slay bitter death for them that they may live with you forever. God himself became flesh in Jesus Christ when he came into this world and he did battle against Satan with that final battle taking place on Good Friday's cross. And there on the cross, Jesus cut off the head of Satan and he broke the chains of sin and he entered into death to tear it apart so that you and I are not bound in the chains of everlasting death for all eternity. And he showed it all to be a reality. 
when he rose on Easter morning as the greatest war hero ever, as he was proclaimed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And now by faith in his grace, my friends, you and I, we have been given that armor and the ability to put on that full armor of God and to, as we just sung before, fight the good fight with all our might. What a treasure you and I have been given. We have that armor. We can put that armor of God on to the life in the death of our Lord Jesus. But Paul goes on and he says, but he gave us one other weapon in addition to Especially in ancient times. A soldier wasn't supposed to go onto the battlefield unless they had a good war cry to cry out as they charged into battle. Paul tells us here the Christian soldier has that very thing too. He says in verse 18, we have prayer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. As Jesus commands us through Paul talking to the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. We as Christians are to use this battle cry on the battlefield. There's a saying, it goes like this. The power of prayer doesn't need to be proven. It needs to be practiced. Now, prayer will not strengthen your faith. It will not forgive your sins. Please do not misunderstand. It is not, I repeat, it is not a means of grace. But it is a wonderful gift and supplement that God gives us to the means of grace. It is that phone line that we can use to call upon God to help us in our troubles, whether it's fighting the evil that comes into our life or those temptations that infiltrate our daily lives or asking for his help when it comes to sorrow or family problems or your health or patience or anything else. The psalmist says, call upon me in the day of distress. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Prayer, my friends, is a wonderful supplement to the word and the sacrament. But remember, it's not a replacement. Folks, before you go do whatever else you have planned for tonight and this weekend, before you go do that, please continue now to put on the full armor of God for the rest of this service and throughout your day and week all year long, whether it's by coming back to worship, going to Bible studies, confirmation, Sunday school, and all the other faith-building opportunities we have here in this congregation. Pray, pray for the strength that the Holy Spirit will make those very things the focus and the priority of your life. Christian soldiers, may the Holy Spirit again and again continue to help you put on the full armor of God Amen.